This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, so welcome back to Breaking Bands Europe. I'm Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show. I'm here with literally three friends, a little bit from the past, a little bit from the industry, and a little bit of the new venture that full disclosure I am an investor in. Today, we talk about entrepreneurship journey, especially from a corporate to an, to an entrepreneurship life. This is episode 141 of Breaking Banks Europe. And as usual, let's give a couple of minutes to our guests to introduce themselves. First one, Connie, Connie Dorishin, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Matteo. It's a lovely break in the middle of summer when we're all going back to work to do something as fun as this is. So thanks for having me, uh, Matteo. Um, Yes, my name is Connie Dorstein. Uh, I've literally worked in the fintech space for over 30 years, you know, corporates uh, as a CMO in uh, very large companies, then sort of switching over, which we'll talk about more later, at a very infinite aha moment to the more entrepreneurial side of life. Uh, but then sometimes a company I worked in and I set up sort of running, helped running, was bought by a large enterprise. So I hip hopped a bit, now definitely on the other side. Uh, my last sort of role that people might know me from is I'm a founding partner of Bankify, but I'm currently uh, purely an, an investor, but still very proud of this uh, successful uh, open banking company. Thank you, Connie. And now let's go to a newbie of uh, Breaking Banks Europe, former colleague of uh, SWIFT, David Mellet. David, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, joining from my holiday, so it's a nice break in the middle of the day. Uh, so happy, happy to be here. Uh, a subject that I love to speak about. Uh, so my own background. I have a degree in archaeology, uh, which led me into finance, obviously, where I spent 15 <laughs> years, uh, where I met you, obviously, at Swift towards the end. And over the last number of years, I've, I've made the jump uh, towards uh, entrepreneurship. Um, not sure that there was a big aha moment, but I guess we'll come to that uh, in a few minutes. <laughs> uh, it feels more by accident than by design. Um, but very, very happy to be here, very happy with what I've done in the past uh, and very happy uh, with what I'm doing now. So thank you for the invitation. Okay, we'll discover more very, very soon. Last but not least, Damien Damien Bouquet from uh, Singapore, you know. So this is a very spread as usual, uh, uh, mm. uh, you know, episode. Damien, welcome to Breaking Banks. Thank you, Matteo. Uh, thank you for having me. Great to connect indeed from uh from Singapore. Uh, thank you for, for the invitation. So my background is also a bit unusual. I actually studied political science. I wanted to be a politician initially, uh, then realized that that world was, was not really for me. Uh, so then I joined Finan, uh, like David, uh, joined Swift. So that's also where we met with you, Matteo and, and David, a couple of years in uh, Brussels with Swift that I moved to Singapore, uh, has been close to 10 years now in Singapore. And last year, I did a big jump with a couple of ex-Swift colleagues, actually, and we, we, we launched IPIT. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in, in a moment. You know what? Why don't we like uh, stick, uh, stick with you, Damien, uh, like in a, in, a, in a continuity matters? Tell us a little bit, uh, you know, what made you that decision? When we prepared the call, uh, I was uh, sort of warning you that I would have asked for, was that an epiphany or was that something and an external factor that made you decide? And, you know, be specific, you know, the, use this platform to explain a little bit what you do right now. Also, because uh, each entrepreneurship uh, uh, experience depends a lot on the business you're evolving in, right? And, and I know the three business of yours and you know each one is different, so it would be worth to uh, to share. Damien, go ahead. For, for sure, 
I mean, there were definitely, there was a con conjunction of factors, but there was one uh, major one, and that was actually COVID. Um, so, so for me, personally, COVID induced like a huge change in my lifestyle. So I used to travel all the time, and then suddenly I was grounded in Singapore at home, and that really made me reflect on, on, on what was making me happy professionally, but also personally. Uh, and Matteo, you, you told us that we can be a bit personal in this uh, in this session. So, on the personal side, so my my girlfriend is actually based in uh, in a different country. So I'm based in Singapore. She's based in Malaysia, uh, and so we're basically apart for almost two years because the border was was shut. Um, and I realized that I needed more more flexibility also um, than the the corporate life. So all of that plus um, business elements like the right idea, the right team, um, probably sort of the end of a chapter um, at, at Swift from a, a corporate career perspective. And, and so all of that really made me to uh, to make the, the jump. But COVID was definitely the trigger. Without COVID, I would probably still be uh, in my corporate life. And uh, what did you build? So we built um, a payment fintech that does not do payments. So essentially, what we identified um, as, as, as the big problems to solve in payment is essentially two major problems to solve, be it in domestic payments or cross-border payments. One big problem is everything around settlement. So essentially moving money faster and cheaper across border. Very busy space, a lot of smart and um, big companies making a big impact on that, on that side. But then you also have the other big problem to solve, which is everything around customer experience, improving success rate, just making it easier for us to do payments. Domestically, I think in most markets today, you can just do payment based on a phone number. Um, but what was missing is that capability on a cross-border basis. So being able to just provide a phone number and then in the background, having a service that we go and fetch the banking details or validate the banking details on the other side for cross-border payment. So that's what, what we built, uh, uh, an infrastructure to uh, make payments easier and uh, and safer on the, on a global basis. Thank you. And actually, what was super interesting is that uh, I could not not invest in the company because you brought together most of my former greatest friends, you know, at Swift, and it's a great <laughs> opportunity to like join back to the club and still have you know super nice conversation and 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 fun. So thank you, thank you for that, Damien. Um, Connie. You know, you you have you have a longer both entrepreneur like a non corporate and, and and corporate life, but I'm pretty sure that you you know that, that you have many factors that brought you this, yeah. this life, right? Absolutely, and I I think that uh, one should also in life always embrace uh, accidents because accidents can lead to very good things, and obviously it's not something you think about when you're very young. But when I was uh, uh, you know, young and ready and willing and able, I moved to the UK and I became a CMO in a fintech company, and uh, which has now become my sis after many mergers and acquisitions. And I learned an awful lot there, particularly also doing things the Anglo-Saxon way. Um, but, uh, you know, around 1995, two big things happened for me. I became extremely aware of what Internet was doing and what it could do to sort of really put power in the hands of the people rather than the bankers. Um, I worked in the city at the time, so it was pretty much, you know, everything from me to to uh, all the bad stuff and all the big humbug that came with it, which I also enjoyed partly, I have to say. Um, it, it was a very, very sort of wild time. Um, but I saw internet happening. And then the other thing that happened was just in my personal life. I got a baby. I thought I was moving back to the Netherlands with my baby and a husband. And I found out I was sort of moving back alone. And um, at that point in time, I said goodbye to a corporate career. And I was in the Netherlands. But working then from home was totally impossible. And I haven't lived in, the, in Holland for a long time. And I had this tiny baby. I was totally hormonal, obviously. And I thought, oh, I've got to take care of him first. And that basically uh, sort of uh, gave me new strength and powers that are really, I think, you know, women should not just take time off after they've had a baby. They should use all those wild powers that drive through your body and do something different. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Internet, mm, I've got a network. 
long story short, I went to the US because I'd heard that some guys were setting up an internet brokerage, E-Trade. I went there and the guy said, they're doing banking um, in Atlanta. You're more a banking girl. So I went to Atlanta. I literally said, and I'm telling the story for a good purpose. I sat in their waiting room. And after a day, somebody said, you've tried to get a meeting. What is this lady still doing here? I said, well, I flew all over all the way from Holland. I want to have a meeting with these two guys. Those two guys with Chip Mahan and Michael McChesney, they set up the world's first internet bank. I got my meeting and I took on huge big trousers, obviously, you know, fueled by all sorts of powers that normally you don't see in women. And I said, I can represent your software in Europe. And they had nobody, so I was okay. And that was the beginning of a relationship that lasts still today, basically. Um, because from that, I went back to the Netherlands. Then, of course, I had to be an entrepreneur. And there was nobody, which I had in London. People were booking my meetings, driving me around, organizing my diary, my schedule. And I just had to reward myself. If I'd booked a meeting with somebody to look at this new technology, I could have a cup of coffee. If I'd booked five meetings, I could have a Kit Kat and uh, a baby crying in the corner. So that taught me a few real hard lessons, but it also gave me the flexibility that I needed. And from that, I started organizing study trips because I thought, there's not a downside. You can't learn on the budget of the company if you're not corporate. And I wanted to learn and earn money. So I thought, well, if I want to learn about internet banking in, say, South Africa, why don't I take a bunch of bankers with me who pay for the trip and for my trip? And then I have a business model. So that's how I basically ended up in, in FinTech. And from that came also the connection with Michel Ackermans, who set up Clear to Pay. He asked me to help him because he joined up with those two internet bankers. Um, and from that came many, many other steps I made. And from that, I had always been an independent in startups. But I always say I have one child that I need to raise and I need to do other things, which at the time to have a multi-role agenda was unheard of. They said, you're not loyal if you do that. I totally disagree. It was my way of learning and staying fresh for the, the company. Um, and I've done that ever since until, of course, in 2014, FIS bought Clear to Pay, which is a massively large corporate. And I lived the corporate life with them for two years. And then I knew for sure that although they bent every single one of their own rules to make me happy, um, it wasn't for me. So I then uh, set up Bankify with my incredibly inspirational uh, colleague, Mark Hartley, who had a great vision. And he's been taking that forward since. And, and now I play a role. You know, I use all of my talents by doing projects, but also very much so by being a non-executive director at the Augmentum FinTech VC and at another uh, growth scale company where we already have 80 people on board, Cobase. Um, but it's going through all the growth pains. So I, I feel that now I can bring all the corporate and entrepreneurial experience together. Yeah. We will talk a little bit later about uh, this concept of uh, portfolio activities, right? Because uh, usually you become an entrepreneur or very often you become an entrepreneur like with a single, with a single mission. And then it becomes almost uh, like a, a virus, you know, that that infects you, and and you're either you're naturally like drawn to either consult for others or advise uh, or maybe invest, and usually you're never an entrepreneur in in, in an island, right, or or, or no. doing a single a single thing, so, because sooner or later, especially if you exit your own startup you're you're very often sort of pulled back you know to this uh, to this life and this time maybe in a much more uh, like including a, a, a multitasking uh, uh, yeah. role let's hear the third story david i'm actually i'm actually curious because i knew the two previous one but yours i'm actually i only i only saw it what you what you published which is super interesting but uh, I re i'm really curious to learn more and our auditors the same Okay, yeah, with pleasure. Um, so as I said, uh, with a degree in archaeology and spending 15 years in finance, uh, I always wondered what I was doing in finance. And, and I think uh, I learned three things about myself when I was at Swift. Um, the first is that I didn't care about finance, um, which is a, a good reason to maybe think about doing something else. So unlike the rest of, uh, of you here, I'm not at all involved in, in, uh, in finance today. 
the second is that I was a very bad employee. Um, I was a troublemaker. Um, I like change. I like doing things differently. And um, at the time, at least, uh, Swift was not a great company to be if if that's the type of uh, DNA that you had. No. And the third, <laughs> the third is that uh, the third is that I lack focus. Um, I'm totally unfocused. And in corporate life, that's a bad thing. Um, but once you make the jump to entrepreneurial life, uh, which is something I share with you, Connie, I, I work on multiple things at the same time, and my lack of focus became a strength. Um, but at the time, I didn't really know any of those things. So it's a bit like, you know, Steve Jobs says, you can connect dots looking backwards. So um, I had no plan. I guess the first part of my transformation or transition uh, was Cybus in Hong Kong in 2008. Oh, yes. Um, where I, I listened to a guy called Guy Kawasaki, who was doing a, a plenary. And yeah. uh, he was giving this uh, little talk on uh, how to pitch to investors and um, and I think the third point on his on his uh, slides uh, was make meaning. So if you want to captivate people, you need to do something which is meaningful. Um, if it's meaningful for you, then you can articulate it as being meaningful towards other people. And I really didn't feel as though uh, I was making any meaning in what I was doing at Swift. Maybe Swift was making meaning, but me personally, I had no idea what I was doing or why I was there. Um, but that was 2008. Um, in 2012, four years later. Uh, I found myself in hospital with a suspected heart attack at 35, um, where I was I was brought to Kevel in Brussels uh, with a heartbeat of about 150, and the doctors were quite concerned, and I had a pain down my left side, and um, and that was a obviously a big shock. It was a big shock to me and a big shock to my wife. And the doctors said, "Well, the good news, David, is that you're perfectly healthy, um, so there's nothing wrong with your heart or your body generally, but the bad news is there's clearly something triggering this." and your yeah. body is clearly sending you a message um and i'd never really thought about uh, listening to my body i was always somebody who lived in my head and i listened to my head um very rational person uh, kind of very <laughs> overthinking cannot switch off at night insomniac so maybe some of the things that uh, that you may share with me so i always live in my head and i think a lot um and i was ignoring what was happening in my body but my body was clearly telling me uh, that this you know you need to stop and you need to think about doing something else so i guess there was an aha moment that was it. Um, I see yeah. some people want to maybe get involved and ask questions. So before I jump to the next part, no, no, David, I, no, no, no. Before, before Damian, uh, I, I know Damian is uh, is uh, as as a question for uh, for you, and I might have a couple too. But now I am curious about what you. Became so, um, doing. so in two thousand and fourteen, um, so six years after after Cybus and two years after my suspected heart attack, which was what they call a burnout, um, which I didn't know, um, I left Swift. And as an English speaker in Brussels, I didn't speak French, I didn't speak Dutch or Flemish. Um, I had more connections in London and Tokyo than I had in Brussels. And I had no idea what to do, but I knew what I wasn't going to do, which was to go back into corporate life. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, knowing what you don't want to do is, is the starting point of, of exploring. Uh, so by accident, more than anything else, I started working with some small, very small startups, um, totally outside of finance. So startups in this, what we call the social impact space. So people who work in the circular economy, people who uh, wanted to create businesses that would somehow contribute towards uh, improving the, the world we live in uh, socially, environmentally, and the end result may be making money, but that certainly wasn't the objective. And um, these people tend to be very idealistic. Most of them were between you know mid early mid-20s to early mid-30s. Um, no business experience, no entrepreneurial experience. Um, but they wanted to do something which would change the world uh, without really understanding how, you know, how business works. And I realized quite early on that um, I didn't learn a lot about finance at Swift, but I did learn quite a lot about marketing and about business and about business models and about products and about other things. And that those skills were transferable um, to this new environment. Yeah. Um, so I, I invested in a couple of companies. I started a few companies. I started an insect farm um, uh, growing crickets in Brussels, uh, transforming them into protein to, as, a, as an alternative. Lovely. Lovely snack. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I invested in and joined the board of a company um, using waste to grow mushrooms in a circular economy business model, uh, growing exotic mushrooms, shiitake, maitake, rather than importing them from Asia, we can grow them using waste. And I got more and more involved in lots of you know, crazy ideas and crazy companies. And, um, and I started meeting investors and I realized that there was a, a problem, a bit like what you said, Damia, we need to identify a problem to, to identify a solution. And there was a problem whereby more and more people wanted to give meaning to their money. So they wanted to invest in projects um, that would somehow contribute towards making the world a better place. 
um, but they weren't finding a lot of deal flow or projects that they had yeah. confidence in. And the primary reason was team. It's not that the ideas were bad, it's that they didn't yeah. trust these young idealistic people to create scalable companies that would make a difference. Um, so that's where my idea of B Founders came from, which is essentially a startup studio for um, impact investing. Whereby because you, you were talking, David. Sorry, I, I briefly interrupt you. you like uh, you're talking, you're talking about money, like behind individuals, right? Not be, not behind small investment funds. You know, people wanted to put money into somewhere meaningful, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a question of both. In fact, there are there are quite a number of large, very large investment funds. Um, that are trying to move part of those funds towards impact investing, towards social responsible investing, SRI or whatever you want to call it. Um, so on the one hand, you have a lot of wealthy individuals that want to use their wealth to contribute towards making the world a better place and solving climate change and all of those other things. On the other hand, you have a lot of funds that are looking to diversify, a lot of family offices that are also interested in yeah. giving back towards society, evergreen funds. Um, I didn't know any of this a couple of years ago. I didn't know these people existed. I didn't know who they were. But I've discovered that there is a, a, a massive movement towards uh, social impact investing. Um, and there's a massive movement towards entrepreneurship. And there's a massive yeah. movement towards impact entrepreneurship. So that felt like a perfect storm within which to create something new, which is what I'm doing. But it still meant that you also had to almost like herd these very enthusiastic cats that were the young people setting up these businesses into an environment whereby they credibly can bridge sort of the expectations from the investors and the family offices, isn't it? Yes, well, and we essentially need three things. We need great ideas. Um, we need um, highly motivated, young, energized people to do something about them. And we need significant capital to make it happen if we want to go fast. And yeah. getting that triangle to function, um, it's, it's more uh, art than science. And there's a little bit of magic in there. It's a lot about human relationships. Um, those three things actually find it difficult to find each other at the same time. So very often the young people with the great ideas can't find the money, the people with the money can't yeah. find the people, the people with the money and, uh, and the teams can't find the ideas. So making all of that emerge has become um, my core skills and that's what I do today. I had a question for David, if I, if I, if I can, and, and sort of as a background to my question. Um, so I was reflecting yesterday about this session and I was wondering, do, do I sort of regret my corporate life? Do I feel that I've, I've wasted some years uh, in corporate <laughs> life? And, and, and my answer was absolutely not. I always see it as a build-up. I've learned a lot. I've enjoyed myself a lot. But sort of in your voice, David, I feel that maybe you have a bit of that feeling that, that maybe you've learned stuff, but maybe you stayed too long in the corporate life. Is that correct or not? Um, I don't regret what I did because it gave me the confidence to do what I do afterwards. Um, but if I had, if I could do things again, knowing what I know about myself now, I'm not a good employee. I lack focus. I need to do something that I really care about. Um, if I had known those things when I was 25, I would definitely have made different choices than the ones which I made. When I was inside of Swift, I felt as though I was in a bubble and I had a career and I had a company car and I was, you know, flying business class and all of that felt like it was meaningful, um, until I stepped out of it and then lost um, so I have no regrets about what I did. Uh, I'm happy that I changed at the time that it changed. At the same time, you know, let me, you know, be um, uh, look at the other side of, 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 of um, the mirror. Um, I work a lot with entrepreneurs also in my non-executive role. And uh, you, you sometimes now, particularly now times are tough again uh, because the wind's blowing in quite a different direction and we see valuations uh, drop by, you know, whatever, 60, 70%. And you try to explain to entrepreneurs, valuation is nothing until it's money, but, you know, they still have this in their head and in their planning. Um, and you do see people who became entrepreneurs when life was sunny who are now having second thoughts because they say it is scary and I don't know where my next round of funding has come from. Or, uh, you know, uh, I've been, I've invested three or four years at a below average salary um, and now my valuation is underwater. And these are very genuine questions that you need to ask yourself. And I, in my opinion, there's no right or wrong. I just say to people, figure out what is you and what works for you. For me, corporate life is stress. And uh, like you, David, I had a massive wake up call a few uh, years ago. And the doctor told me one thing is that this is 25 years of stress, the body keeps the score. 
so for one person, corporate life causes stress. For another one, it's entrepreneurship. And so I, I just say to people, it doesn't matter. Don't do it because, you know, as you say, you feel like you have a career, you're meaningful because you, you're in the big hotels, you're traveling business class, all of which totally becomes totally unimportant as you grow older, unless you're an absolute idiot living on a brick. Um, but at the same time, you know, really think about it because corporate life does give advantages. It gives you access to education. It gives you access to going to events on the cost of the company. And so being an entrepreneur, it's not just being an entrepreneur and taking risks. It's also a massive investment. Uh, and, and I have never regretted it. But there are times, particularly when I fell really ill and I was sort of out of duty for half a year going through uh, therapies, etc., you know, you, it's only fair that you think, mm, did I make the right choice? Because everything I earned, I reinvested. Um, and, uh, you know, what about my earning power once I'm through this? What if, it, what if it disappears? And I have to say, the one thing I'm grateful for is that throughout my um, entrepreneurial life, I've always kept a mantra, which is everything in life starts by giving. And so I build up a set of relations and business relationships that were also loyal to me when, you know, I was going through some personal stress. Um, but even business-wise, you have to continue to invest in relationships, in knowledge, in networking when you become an entrepreneur. And very often you see people who say, I'm an entrepreneur, but literally they're just sending invoices at the end of the month rather than getting a payslip. And uh, I think that's a massive difference. There's, there's one point I'd like to maybe react to linked to stress. Um, I've, also, I've also learned that there's, there's lots of different types of stress. And the stress that I had in corporate life, I felt as though it prevented me from moving forward. It was, it was more of a handbrake. And the stress that I have in entrepreneurial life is it's a motor, it's an engine. It's what drives me forward. If I wasn't stressed, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. And I probably have more stress now relative to the, the comfortable lifestyle I had at, in Swift. Um, but I live it very, very differently. And the stress is what it really pushes me to, to do what I do um, as opposed to stopping me. So stress doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing. I no. think it's how we use the stress, which is important. Wow. I actually had uh, like uh, so many questions in mind uh, and, <laughs> like, and, and listening to you, I have so many more questions now. Uh, okay. I'll, let's do the following. I will wrap up in the, in a second, but uh, what I do believe uh, in, in the, as a fundamental for this conversation is that uh, it's not enough to decide uh, that you want to become an entrepreneur. It is important to understand which type of entrepreneur you want to be. Because yeah. there, there are that are driven just by money and the exit and like uh, inflate, is, uh, inf inflate as much as they can the value of the company. I actually label them, I call them the exiters, okay? And then there are another type of entrepreneur that, uh, you know, the, where the impact of the number of family and people he or she is impacted with her work, uh, and I call them the builders, you know, is, is more important than just uh, building monetary value, okay? And, and and I'm not, and of course, it's never black or white. Uh, is that you can you can be a bit of both. And of course, you know, ideally speaking, uh, you know, bringing your company to some sort of exit uh, is always a good thing because it allows you, if you're a true entrepreneur, to then build more value on the top of it. But yeah. uh, just this is a, just a little snippet of uh, what I am going to ask you just after a short break. Stay with us, guys. That's a wrap. The FTS Group builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners, and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu. Guys, welcome back to episode one for one of Breaking Banks Europe. We had to cut a super interesting view on entrepreneurship life, uh, you know, back from, from a corporate life uh, with uh, eventually 
if any of us was regretting, you know, any piece of that of that corporate life. And uh, David was saying something super interesting about, uh, you know, the the stress part that becomes, uh, you know, a break in one case and an engine, you know, as as an entrepreneur. But uh, what I would like to uh, uh, to talk about now is uh, once you became uh, an entrepreneur, did you figure which type of impact you wanted to have as an entrepreneur beside money, right? Because uh, entrepreneurs that are driven just by money once are maybe the favorite of some Silicon Valley investors, you know, that uh, only wants to like build the bigger and bigger funds. Personally, you know, this is not the type of, uh, business i want to i want to be in because uh, uh, i think there is a fire as an entrepreneur that uh, is about uh, uh, impacting the life of other people by working together or by giving work in some in some case and you know if uh, if you don't know i'm telling you now i work a lot with africa where entrepreneurship is still in its infancy at least like a tech entrepreneurship and I sort of touch with my hands every day that uh, these young entrepreneurs, they don't know very often what does it mean to be an entrepreneur and what type of different entrepreneurship they can embark on. I saw a lot of photographers that wants to raise money from a venture capitalist because in their head, they are a startup. And I saw tech startups that just because they have an idea and someone else with the same idea raised $10 million, they raised a million dollars without any single sale. And you know, all this is part of an individual journey that each and every one of us has to do. And the sooner you understand which type of entrepreneur you are, the better you can organize your, your venture. Connie, I saw you're nodding, so please. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I I told you my story, so I'm not uh, going to even suggest that I had a big plan. It was pure bloody survival um, that uh, made me jump into this because it gave me the flexibility. And I think to David's point earlier about stress, it gave me, even though I was, say, poor, uh, I, I was in control. And in a large company, what people think they're protected, but they can sack you from one day to the next to give you a shitty job uh, and, and you have very limited influence. So I love the control element, but I pretty soon figured out that I could go in too many directions. And so I sat down and I, I often do this. I'm a mentor to many uh, women tech entrepreneurs as well. And I do this um, uh, a personal sort of triangle uh, exercise with them. I say, what are the three things in your life, your working life, your business life, that need to be elements for you to be happy and successful? And for me, it was uh, whatever I was going to do next, it had to be global and international because, you know, ever since I was a child, I've always, you know, been curious about other cultures, other countries, and I wanted to travel. The second thing for me was having worked with old tech and new tech and being inspired by internet, I thought, from now on, I'm only going to work for companies that really focus on setting out new business models, new stuff with very new technology. Uh, so that was the second rule. So that made me, you know, that, that gives you certain choice. And the third one for me was, and I, and I said this before the word was invented, everything I did, I wanted to be around empowering people in the end of the day. You know, remember I said about in, the internet, it could give people power back. I saw women like myself with children or single women or women in a career. And remember, I'm talking about 30 years ago, struggling with how to combine it all. And I thought everything I do needs to be by, about, you know, empowering people to make better decisions and to be more in control. And those three things still hold true today. That's why I do certain mentorships. Uh, but it also determined, therefore, what type of entrepreneur I would be, um, because it means that if empowerment and the future is important, then your only goal cannot be just making a heap shit of money. 
so for me, money is taking care of my family and loved ones. And if I have that sort of money, I'm probably pretty happy. And then you know me, Matteo, a good, a good glass of wine is a necessity in life for all. Um, but I don't need a yacht or a second home. Um, so, yes, I've definitely figured out that I want to build stuff. I want to empower other people. And when it was a choice when I was 30, I'm now 59, and I feel it's an obligation for us, our generation, to give back. It's Don't talk to me about how great it is you're doing it. It's, it's an obligation. And so maybe if I can jump in on, on, on that one. So the two categories that you've so it's it's not black and white. If I think of my experience as a as an entrepreneur, obviously you spend a lot of time with VCs. So that's something that I didn't know before, very different. And I realized that I actually have no problem with the uh, economic equation of making money and I mean they're investing in, in in us because they want to return. I have no problem with that. And I think that actually selling something means that you're bringing value to someone else. So I really have no problem with the economic equation of, of, of that. So that's all good. Um, what is a bit more frustrating for me in those meetings is when there is no interest for the actual problem that we're solving. Um, so what excites me is we've identified a problem and we're building a solution to that. Uh, if it's purely about money, not really about the impact, uh, it's not about social impact, just solving a natural problem for the industry, um then that's where for me something is missing but so for me what is driving me is is that um it's being able to say that in a couple of years there was sort of a, a before and after when we think of cross-border payments and we don't need to be uh apple we don't need to be the iphone i don't mind having <laughs> that chip in the iphone that nobody knows about um but at least we'll have made a difference so that's really what i care about it's so super important to understand, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, that it, it is actually very sane for an entrepreneur to produce value. And value is often connected <laughs> with money, as well as the fact that uh, more often than not, without external capital, it's very difficult to grow a startup at the scale, you know, that then helps him, right? Uh, but Scaling is the hard part. Exactly. What I also wanted to talk about uh, is... Uh, how did your personal life uh, change, you know, in your, you know, entrepreneurship style? Like, for example, David, you were talking about, and, you know, I was totally with you about the fact that uh, he had its charm to don't worry about whether we spend uh, 5,000 or 7,000 euros to go to Australia and business class at Cybus because, <sighs> you know, whatever, you can, we can leave two days before or two days after. It doesn't, you know, as soon as you go, you know, below a certain limit, who cares if you eat McDonald's or if you eat at the restaurant, like with a super decent glass of wine, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and not to talk about uh, something which is even more, um, I want to say, uh, subtle, right? For example, hey, you're somewhere on the other side of the world and you get sick. If you're by yourself, you need to be like uh, decently and smartly covered, right? Because otherwise there, yeah. are certain, there are certain episodes that can cost an arm and a leg to you personally or to your very young, very young company. And, and this is kind of, uh, uh, you know, something that uh, it is easy it is missable. It's understandably, you know, missable as as an entrepreneur. But at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm exactly, you know, my story is very similar to any of yeah. yours. You know, it changed the way I look at life. It changed the way I plan my travel. It changed the fact that uh, I start uh, realizing that uh, maybe it was smarter to move to Lisbon as an entrepreneur then having the option to, of course, leave Brussels, then stay in Brussels, you know, because yeah. the quality of life, the, the, the relationship between, you know, cost and privileges was different, you know. And, and I yeah. wonder, you know, how, how was it for, for you, David? Um, there's two things that come to mind. Um, the first is, uh, Damia asked if I had any regrets about my, my corporate life. Uh, if I had known what entrepreneurship was 
and, and how it would change my life, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I would probably have more regrets about the entrepreneurial part than the other part, because if I had known what I was getting myself involved in, um, I don't think I would have had the courage to, to go on that journey, quite honestly. Uh, it's a true story. I, I've co-created multiple companies in the last six or seven years. And the degree of divorce within 12 months of me creating a company with somebody is enormous. Um, and that's what entrepreneurship can mean. It, it can be that life-changing. Yeah. Uh, personally, I totally underestimated uh, how my leaving my comfortable corporate life towards the very difficult uh, entrepreneurial journey that I'm on and have been on would impact my relationship with my wife, uh, would impact my relationship with my friends, would impact the choices we make about where we go on holiday, uh, would impact uh, how we talk about money in our in our couple. Everything changed. I went from you know comfortable to very uncomfortable. I didn't earn any money for three years after I left yeah. Swift. Um, I lived purely off, off savings. Um, I invested in a number of startups. I lost money in some of those startups. So my world became totally unstable. And even though I was relatively comfortable with that choice, um, it felt as though it was my choice rather than our choice. So if there's one piece yeah. of advice I could give to anybody uh, is if you choose to go from corporate life to entrepreneurial life, um, it's not just, there are other people that depend on you. I had children, I had a house. Um, it wasn't my choice to make unilaterally. And, and honestly, I made that unilaterally. I, I chose not to go back to corporate life because it wasn't for me. Um, but that wasn't, we didn't sit down and have a, a couple of conversations about whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. And what would it actually mean for us? Um, so I've observed around me that a lot of people that make that change, um, it has profound impacts on their relationship with their spouse or with their partners. It has huge impacts on the relationship with their children. It changes a lot of things about how they interact with their friends who maybe are still in in corporate life. Um, and I, if I had known all of those things, as I said, I'm not entirely sure I would have had the courage to go and do that. So sometimes not knowing yeah. um, is a very good reason to do things. It's so lovely I hear this story. And I said it to many other people. You know, I made the move from to go to America and follow my dream of starting to sell internet banking. I thought the internet bank's great, but I wanted technology. Uh, it was literally my last money that I used for the ticket. And I said this so often, when you have nothing, you're willing to almost risk it all. But when you have some savings, you have to live off it for a few years, as we did with Bankify. I felt way more uncomfortable. So it's also when you're really young, you dare it all and you do it all. As you get older and you have a bit more, it has impact on others. It can feel more uh, discomforting. And you think I'm older, I'm wiser. But for me, that was more stressful or yeah, it was scarier, so to speak. Yeah, true, true, true interesting. Being told, uh, truth be told, uh, before uh, before I, I let <laughs> Damian, you know, the, uh, give us uh, his his perspective, that actually I think I, I'm I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that uh, the most successful entrepreneurs they were like in between forty and fifty five, you know. So and and that the the Zuckerberg, the the the, 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 the under thirty billionaire were actually a rare, a rare exception, you know? So it seems that somehow the, well, first of all, that there is no good age to become an entrepreneur, you know, obviously, but I don't want to be, uh, I, I don't want to be uh, sort of, uh, I don't want to say something that, uh, you know, everyone can can understand, but at the same time that, you know, it, it is very uh, hard that, the company that you create when you come out into your entrepreneurship life is the same company that will sustain you and the only company that will sustain you joining the course of your entrepreneurship life. You know, I left Swift to become an investor, yeah. built a company that does consulting, and now I build a real estate in Lisbon. And now, full disclosure, I'm investing in a, sorry for the vegan guys, I'm investing in a like a churrasco uh, chicken place, you know, together with a Brazilian guy. Why? Because my passion is build stuff. And, yeah. and it gives me the same pleasure to build a real estate agency and a Brazilian churrasco business that, you know, that advise an internet banking or, 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 or advise an agri-tech business uh, and, and become an investor, right? So, and that, that is why I absolutely consider myself a builder, 
rather than an exeter because I would rather actually build for myself and steady monthly income that gives me freedom that deprive myself looking for a five, six, 10 years, you know, exit and make a big boom. I want the money yeah. for my freedom now. This is that's my approach to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Sorry, Damian, I didn't want to steal you the 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 scene, but I wanted to. Since everyone is sharing personal no. stuff, I want yeah. to do it as well. And I think so. From my perspective, maybe first two challenging discoveries from uh, being an entrepreneur. So first one is a real focus on sort of individual performance. Um, Basically, I feel that I have to be much more productive now than than before. So I will say no to the last drink. Uh, I will really watch for my sleeping hours. I'll go to the gym because I I need to be performant the, the, the next day. Uh, it was a bit different before. Um, and the second thing is a bit back to, to stress. We're talking about stress before. So there is no body that you can really pass your problems too i mean the ball is in your camp eventually uh so there is no boss that you can say oh that, that's my problem and can you please help me with that uh so that generates stress however having said all of that i've received several comments from family and friends telling me that i look so much happier and also i'm much more present in the moment even though i have so many more things in my head when i'm with them they tell me, oh, you're actually much more present than before um so that's i guess um uh, a good sign that 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 life is going in the right direction in that sense. No, I think uh, you know we, if we look happy, it's because we we feel happy, and and happiness inside you know projects itself outside. Um, I, I don't know honestly whether I'm happier, um, because I, I guess I, I can't really remember whether I was happy or unhappy uh, so long ago. Um, but I feel energized, and I think it, maybe that's what I was missing at the time. I, I felt as though uh, a, a lot of the energy had to come inside of me because I wasn't really getting energy from the corporate environment. And and then a bit like, you know, your body keeps the score. Well, you know, we have a battery, and the battery is running lower and lower and lower. And I think that um, today, with what I'm doing now, I get lots of energy from other places. You know, I, I yeah. help lots of people to start their projects. And I feel as though, even though my, my battery is still going down because I invest a lot of myself into my job, I feel as though it's being replenished in a far yeah. healthier way than maybe it was in the past. And whether that's happiness or, or not, I don't know, but I certainly feel energized. And when I feel energized, uh, I probably smile a little bit more. Um, somebody at Swift told me, you know, once, David, you have a, a really nice smile, but we never see it. Um, <laughs> That's bad. That's bad. But I, exactly. <laughs> and I want to jump in here because uh, it rec- I, I hear the last half hour, I, I often hear the term happiness. And I think happiness is incredibly important and it's something different for everybody. At the same time, and it probably has something to do with, you know, the stage of life and I'm not, or with the fact that I love history and I always read up about, you know, in a global context, Chinese wars, but also World War One, World War Two. I'm seeing what is happening right now. I see the complexity, the uncertainty. I know that we totally um, sort of overextend our own idea about how manageable everything is. You know, the, the world is a massive place. The planet's a huge system. We need to give it some respect and time as well. Happiness is important. At the same time, I'm also careful, and I say to people, happiness alone cannot be the life goal. You also have to be tougher than that. We're the first generation in Western Europe who hasn't lived through any war, or any major conflict, or any big, big, terrible thing. And I, on purpose, I say Western world. Um, we need, I think it's also a good thing that these tough times, you should take the opportunity to toughen yourself up a bit and become a bit more prepared and ready for not, you know, everything going up in terms of life expectancy, bigger houses, earning more, all of that stuff. So I'm a bit worried when I hear the word happiness too often because uh, the other day some women were complaining. They said, well, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but I don't feel really happy. I said, yeah, I had the conversation with a woman our age this morning. She, she, she uh, works uh, in China and she sort of uh, goes around all the waste belts every day to pick up batteries out of old phones. So she was also complaining that she hadn't been so happy lately. 
put it in context. I think it's extremely important to be a huge realist when you're an entrepreneur. And I have a great desire, particularly now, to say to people, of course, happiness is important, but surviving is crucially important as well. And don't give everybody the impression that you've got that your that your main goal is to be happy every day, be meaningful to others. Um, I, I'm just a little bit worried that we are too much busy with self fulfillment and happiness, and we're not much enough focused on you know how together we can pull each other through tough times. So anyway, that was my rant for the day. No, 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 no. It, it was it was it's actually uh, I think it's very very meaningful what you what you just said, Connie. And I wanted to, um, like, uh, it is actually related to what you say. Is there a FOMO as an entrepreneur? Because I, I do, I do be the FOMO as an entrepreneur. And paradoxically speaking, uh, the FOMO is uh, when you have uh, a portfolio of activities and not one single startup, because the, 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 the journey of the four of us is very different, right? So, Connie, Connie is like a much later in your career with like a bigger companies to work in. Damien, you're very focused on one single startup that now is 300% of your life. David, your attention is actually very spread, correct me if I'm wrong, because at least your brain is constantly giving feedback to a multiple yeah. entrepreneurs, whether as an investor, whether as an advisor, whether as a current uh, like uh, uh, you know builder of this uh, of of this company, so but there is one thing in co- and, and, and me like the same thing like a three four very different uh, in, uh, uh, activities, including this one, right? Including this podcast, yeah. which is a good example. So this this company this podcast is not a multi million dollar business. So this podcast pays the bills, you know, of the people who works on the podcast. I use it because. Uh, it, I use it as a tool, and 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 I do it because it's fun. Because it's a, yeah. to me having conversation like the one that I'm having right now, I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm building a tool that everyone can use that giving space to people. But if I had to compare whatever this micro enterprise as a podcast is bringing compared to the time that I'm dedicating, probably I wouldn't do it. No. I keep doing this because I like what I'm building. Okay, so and what, you learn. Yeah. Exactly. So what is what is the fear of missing out? Is that the older you get, and that's my case here, you the the the, the fear of saying hmm, maybe if I find the magic job because ten years ago there were no magic job incorporates. Right yeah. now, you do have uh, this uh, head of innovation, uh, head of startup studio, <laughs> head of uh, fintech ecosystem, uh, uh, fintech head that seems like, uh, you know, the better version of InnoTribe at Swift back then, which was already a dream job for me. Yeah. I did not, you know, that that time back then was amazing, you know. I, I married personally the the corporate life the the the, the yeah. advantages of the corporate life with the content of, of of a great job right so to me personally the the fear of missing out is uh, is there today a new generation of corporates that understand better uh, what uh, networking means what hierarchy means what meritocracy means what impact means uh, and uh, hey if I have behind me a big enough corporation, maybe the impact I can generate uh, could be big. So that's for me is my very own super personal uh, uh, fear of missing out. Damian. Yeah, so if I can go first on, on this, because maybe my perspective would be a bit different from Coins and David simply because I'm probably younger. Uh, and I think at my, at my stage of life and career, I'm actually building, I think, my market value. So there is no FOMO. I think what I'm doing now, in any case, would be good even if I go back to corporate life. So I really have no FOMO from my perspective in that sense. That's it. <laughs> it's and it's and it's a, and it's a great angle, David. I'm curious what you think. Um, well, I don't know much about corporate life anymore, uh, so I, I don't feel 
uh, I don't feel very well equipped to to speak on that subject. Um, I, I think that uh, you know you, you asked the question earlier on, you know, what type of entrepreneur um, are you, or what type of entrepreneur do you, do you want to be? Um, you said that you know, uh, the, I think it was Connie. You said that you want to be an empowerer, so that's the type of entrepreneur you want to be. Um, I guess what I the type of entrepreneur I want to be is is an inspirer. Um, I'm, I'm not the most creative person in the world. I don't have a lot of ideas. I'm pretty good at doing things with other people's ideas. So I need to meet the other people. Um, so I guess uh, what, what, I, what I want to try and do is to um, orient as much entrepreneurial energy as possible towards contributing towards making the world a better place. Um, I think money, there's already a lot of money and we can keep making more of it, um, but it's clearly not you know, contributing towards, uh, towards uh, the forest fires in the south of France or or some of the other things that I'm seeing while I'm on holiday. So my, my objective is to be an entrepreneur that tries to put the focus on um, the power of entrepreneurship to, to do good, to contribute towards climate change, uh, towards contributes towards, uh, towards social equality. Um, and if I do that, then I think I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quite happy with the... Yeah, no, I, 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 totally, I totally get it, David. But uh, just to like maybe one, clarify my question, and second, you know, give you a concrete example you can react on. Imagine for a second that someone like Black, the BlackRock of this world, you know, the, decides to set up uh, an, an impact fund for circular economy at the global level. So you can do what you're doing, uh, you know, not for, uh, I don't know, 200 lives, but for 20,000 lives. And yet you would be a corporate guy because you would have still a badge of BlackRock, yeah. you know? So this is my, this is yeah. a good... Uh, like yeah. a, it, it's a translation in your life and your context of my fear of missing out. You see what I mean? No, I, I totally get it. But as I said, I think I know myself quite well. Um, I think BlackRock would be employing the wrong guy if they wanted to do that. Um, because I would still be an employee and I would still have to execute a mission and I would still have a boss and I would still lack focus and I still probably wouldn't respect the rules. And, and so I think that in you, you need to make sure that you're doing things that are aligned with what you're good at doing and what you enjoy doing, irrespective of where you can put the bar in terms of leverage. So for, from my perspective, I think the, if I could if I could work in a big company and, and create a whole lot more impact than what I'm doing now, then I probably would have chosen that path. But because I was quite bad at that, I chose a different path. And But I hope somebody in BlackRock actually goes and creates that fund. <laughs> Guys, I want to, you know, our time is up and we are actually, you know, beyond time as well. Can I just say that a good, like, one-liner for this show is that we are, all of us are, beside Damien, because you, by definition, you, you don't have holidays right now, you know, you like it. You just finished fundraising. I get it. It's fine. But, you know, big hire, et cetera, et cetera. But we all took time, you know, David and Connie, in, 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 in a period that is... Uh, traditionally a non-working period and because we can and 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 we wanted to and because we maybe were curious about uh, you know sharing something with the rest of the of the people and thank you actually for giving the, the that time and uh, you know before holidays were a cutoff time for everyone right that the corporate life uh, you the phone is off and you wouldn't consider an email that arrives to your your professional in there, right? So um, it's the price we pay. Exactly. So I, I just want to thank you again for uh, for being in the show with me today, Connie, Damien, and David. And um, I, I, this is was one of the certainly most personal show that I have uh, witnessed, and uh, and it's great. It's actually it's much closer to a to the spirit of a, of of a, of a show of a, of a podcast, and and I think yeah. we should we should have several uh, several others in this uh, in this way, so we don't where we don't talk about uh, technology only, but we talk about personal uh, personal journeys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank You're you. Very welcome. One, one, one last uh, thing. How can people find you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like, uh, if you want to give like uh, a, a, a a website, uh, go ahead, Damien. Yeah. So, because my family name is a bit complicated, so you can go to a corporate website, ipid.tech, and then uh, you can find it there. Thank you, David. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so I think if people type my name, they'll, they'll find me there. Great, Connie. 
Yeah, same. Active on LinkedIn, active on uh, on Twitter. And thank you, Mattia, because today where you didn't learn something new, where you didn't bring a smile to your face, and where you had a chance to give something back is day not live. So it's it's one thirty goal achieved for today. Thank you, guys. You have a great a great rest of the day and a good evening for you, Diamond. And thank you very much. Thank and you. Uh, stay with us, guys, on Breaking Max Europe. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoker Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.